this weekend, just yesterday, the Jewish Passover started. Uh, it was the beginning of the Jewish Passover. And this weekend is the weekend where the Christian uh, world has also chose, chosen to celebrate uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it was around this time of the year, indeed, that Jesus died. And that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. It was not only like the individual sinner would come to the tabernacle, to the temple, and sacrifice an animal for his sins and for the sins of his family. It was Jesus, as John said, here is the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the the world. It's not only your sin or my sin, but everyone's sins can be redeemed, can be cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as we meditate upon these things this morning, I pray that the, the great sacrifice that Jesus made, the great surrender by Him giving, leaving behind everything, all the glory He had in heaven and coming to this earth to be born as a, a helpless babe and grow up to become a man and eventually surrender, give His life on the cross. I hope that these events will remind us of the great love of Jesus Christ. And as we start this study, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we ask for God's direction today. Father, we thank you because your name is holy. We thank you because you give us the opportunity to come before you and be in your presence. You have welcomed us into your place, into your presence, into your home. And now, Lord, as we open up scripture... I ask that you may guide us and inspire us and help us, Lord, receive the message you have for each and every one of us here today. I humbly ask, Lord, that you may use me as your instrument, that you may anoint my lips, and that everything I'll say today will be tempered with love, with grace, and will be, Lord, the representation of what you want me to say that we actually touch people's hearts. That we may all be moved by the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Bless each and every worshiper here. May every distraction be set aside. That our ears, our minds, our eyes will be fixed upon Jesus. I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There are things that happen in life that are unexpected. Right? And we could spend... The entire day here, if anyone, everyone was asked to share at least one experience in life where things happened in an unexpected way. Where you were expecting something and the result was something totally different. Maybe it was ex the exact opposite of what you were, expect you were expecting. Uh, one day, many years ago, many years ago, sometimes I think and I look back and I say, well, that was me still. Uh, it, it was quite a different life from the life I'm living today, the, the circumstances I have today and everything. But many years ago, uh, this was probably some uh, 33 years ago, I had the privilege of singing for the Brazilian version of the King's Heralds, the quartet. And I sang with them for just a couple of years. 
And at that time, the Voice of Prophecy in Brazil, it operated out of the back of a large church there in Rio de Janeiro. It's the Botafogo Church. And so we would go to church, and then during the week, we'd go to the back of the church to the a small building there where the offices were. And around that time, I had just gotten my driver's license, and my father had just been able to buy a, a car. It was the only car that the family had. And even though during my time singing with the quartet, I was living away from home, I was living closer to the church, uh, it was a good hour and a half between that church and where my parents lived. Uh, even so, my father would let me use the car once in a while. And so one, one week I was with the car. It was a very simple car, the one we could afford at the time. And I parked the car right in front of the church building. And I went back uh, to, uh, to the back of the building, to the rear of the building as usual, and went to the office and spent the day there working. And at the end of the day, just around 5, 5.30 in the afternoon, I came out with my colleagues. And I looked to the place where the car was supposed to be, where I had parked it, and I didn't see it. Uh, but the, the parking spot was not empty. And so I'm looking around the side. I was quite sure I had parked the car here, but maybe it was a little further. And I, I walked down this way, and I couldn't see the car. And I said, I, I was pretty sure it was on this side. But, but anyway, I'm going to walk to the other side and see if I find the car. And I tell you, I went back and forth a couple of times, and I could not see the car. I could not locate the car. The car had been stolen. And it was quite a shock because you feel powerless. You said, while I was working, someone came and stole my car away. It was not what I, expect, what I expected. I expected just to come out of the church building and see the vehicle there and be able to drive it home. And so, as you can imagine, there was a whole uh, uh, range of uh, events that ensued, and I had to uh, file a report with the police and, and everything, and a claim with insurance and all of that. But things happen that take, it, take you by surprise. Even though I lived in that city where uh, that was something that happened every day, actually. Uh, every day there was someone, you know, losing a car uh, to a robber. Every day that would happen, but you never expect that that's going to happen to you. And when you least expected, expected it may happen. And in the text we read today, this was not different. In fact, if you consider from the time where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, all the way down to the moment when he, uh, he was sacrificed on the cross, and going beyond that to the moment of the resurrection... There were many events that turned out in a way that people did not expect at all. And I'm going to highlight here uh, three of them. Three of them today only. Three things that happened that turned out in the way that people were not expecting at all. But even though things happened in a way that were not expected People came to realize, as I did that day where my car was stolen, that it was not the end yet. That was not supposed to be the end of it all. It was not the end of the story yet. While Judas was one of the disciples, Judas was with Jesus during all of his ministry. Judas was in fellowship with the other disciples, but there was always something in the back of his mind that was kind of pulling him away from the group. 
personal interests. He was very attached to money. So attached that he was actually going to, to steal money from the purse where the offerings were collected. And so he was so attached to that, that little by little he was distancing himself from God. And the point came where Judas was willing to betray Jesus for the amount of 30 pieces of silver. Almost, roughly, almost like one piece of silver per year of life that Jesus had lived. So, uh, up to that point. But for 30 pieces of silver, for 30 silver shackles, Judas was willing to betray his Savior. And he did it with a kiss. With a kiss right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas indicated who was the one that the mob was going to catch. He came up to Jesus, and he greeted him, and he kissed him. But initially, the chief priests and the rulers and the religious leaders of the time, initially they were reluctant to lay hands on Jesus. And they talked among themselves and they said, well, maybe that's something we ought to do. We need to, to, uh, to resolve the situation because he's a rebel. But we shouldn't do this during the Passover. We should do this after Passover because the people are going to rebel against us because they're getting attached to this man. And that was the agreement. But when Judas was intending to do that for money, when Judas proposed to them, well, if you give me money, I'm going to be able, I'm going to go and catch him and get him, him caught. And so because Judas was willing to do that, it was not going to be any of their, of theirs actually betraying Jesus or laying hands on Jesus. And they could have people who would go out there and do the work for them. They said, okay, that looks good. We're going to give you 30 pieces of silver. And you go there, and it will give you a, a, a mob, and you can go there and lay hands on him and bring him to us here. And so, without much concern to the consequences, Judas goes ahead with that plan. And he comes to the garden, and he sees Jesus, and he greets Jesus, and he calls him Rabbi. Rabbi. Well, I guess we all know what the word Rabbi means, don't we? Means, don't we? What is that? Teacher. teacher. Yeah, but it's not teacher only, right? Teacher is rab. Rabbi is my teacher. And so Judas comes up to him and says, my master, my teacher, and kisses him. And even though Jesus knows that he was being betrayed by Judas, even though Jesus had even said to the disciples, Arise, let's, let's stand, let's go from here because my betrayer is coming. Jesus sensed that, he knew that. Even though Jesus still turns to Judas and says, Friend, friend, why are you here? Friend, why have you come? In other words, why are you getting involved in this at all? Why have you put yourself in this situation, my friend? But the money had already been paid. The interests were high. And the plan was to be executed and with a kiss. The kiss was the cue for the mob to come and lay hands on Jesus. Jesus is then brought into the presence of the high priest. And he's there interrogated by the high priest. 
And the mob that laid, laid hands on Jesus, they were armed to, to the teeth with swords and clubs, the Bible says. And this was just a sign of the cruelty that Jesus was going to go through. It was just a sign of the violence that was to follow. Jesus before the high priest was accused of, of blasphemy. Was accused of blasphemy for saying that he was one with the Father. That he was the Son of God, which he actually was. False witnesses were, were brought in. And everyone would come with a different story. And they would find no, no foundation, no basis for all those stories. Until eventually two, two witnesses came and said, this is what he did. He said he was going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days. He's desecrated the temple with his words. And then the leader said, okay, we need no more witnesses. We have our case here. There is nothing else for us to do except to condemn him to death. death. And then the, the violence against Emmanuel, God with us, starts right there. He was spat in his face. They punched him. They hit him with their fists. They struck him with the palm of his hands. They blindfolded him. They would slap him and, and mock him by saying, Now oh, if you're a prophet, prophesy. Tell us now who hit you. Who was that? Jesus humbly endured it all. He wouldn't say a word. He would not respond. But the disciples would look at that and would be utterly disappointed. Even from before, from the garden. They would think that when the mob got there to arrest Jesus, Jesus would do something. He could invoke all the powers from heaven. He could ask the angels to come. He could ask the Father to send the angels. He could himself have done something to prevent the mob from catching him. But Jesus didn't do anything. Jesus didn't do any of that. It was disappointing to the disciples. It was utterly disappointing that Jesus would allow those, that mob to arrest him. But yet I tell you, even though it was disappointing, it was not the end of the story. Jesus had something else in mind. And he had to follow through with that. Now there's another scene that turned out in a way that you would, you would never expect it. There was something else in the, the course of events that happened in a way that I would never expect it would happen that way. According to several different sources and according to the four Gospels, all four Gospels say that it was customary. It was a custom at the time that the, the governor, the Roman governor would release a prisoner uh, for the people of Israel, for the Jews. And Pilate was willing to release Jesus. Pilate, the Roman governor, was willing to release Jesus. But the crowd was demanding that Barabbas be released. And so uh, Pilate comes to them and says, But why should I condemn this man? I don't see any fault in him. And the people insisted, No, not him. We want Barabbas. And Pilate would insist and say, I see no fault in him. What evil has he done? And they would not even listen. They say, away with him. We want Barabbas. Release Barabbas. We don't want anything with this man. And then Pilate says, 
I am innocent of the blood of this man. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. And they said, who cares? His blood be upon us and upon our children. Now Barabbas was a robber, the Bible says, in John 18.40. And so Jesus was the giver, while Barabbas was the robber. Jesus was the giver, is the giver of life. Jesus is the giver of healing. Jesus is the giver of hope. Jesus is the giver of blessings. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that the, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have what? Life. And that they may have it more abundantly. Eventually... Eventually it turned out in a way that I would never expect. But the crowd chose the robber over the giver. They, took, they chose the one who took away over the one who gives. And as Peter said in Acts 3.15, they killed the author of life. It was not supposed to be like that. But it so happened... And after that, Jesus was crowned with a crown of thorns. He was spat in the face again. He was struck with a reed on his head. He was mocked. And they led him all the way up to a place called Golgotha, or Calvary, which translated means the place of the skull. And right there upon that place, that hill, he was crucified. And there, after intense suffering, after intense agony, feeling the pain of human violence upon his body, but beyond that, feeling the, the weight of sin, feeling crushed by the weight of all sins, yours, mine, and of the entire world, eventually Jesus said, it is finished. And he died. But even then, as my Savior died, while it may look as if all was lost, that was not the end of the story yet. Then comes a third event that turned out in the way people were not expecting. While Jesus died, on the day of preparation, the Bible says, the day before the Sabbath. And then on the Sabbath, even though he was dead, even though he was in the grave, he still kept the Sabbath, as the commandment said. And he stayed in the grave, he rested there for the Sabbath. But then came the first day of the week. And early in the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible describes this in the verse that Caitlin beautifully read this morning. God bless you, Caitlin. Let's read it again. Please join me in Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Follow with me as I read that. Matthew 28, verses 1 through to 10. The Bible says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like, light, was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While these women came to the tomb early, the first day of the week, they were expecting to see the body of Jesus there. But what a shock, what a surprise that as they get there, they don't see the body of Jesus anymore. But God didn't let them uh, just to guess or to wonder. God did not let them in the dark. God sends an angel that says to them, come here, I know what you're looking for. I know who you're looking for. Well, I got to tell you, he was crucified, as you know. And that's the one you're looking for, but he's no longer here. He's no longer here because he's risen from the dead. And though it may look as a surprise to you that he's not here, remember that he said this. He said that he was going to rise again. And so that's why he's not here. But if you go ahead in the direction of Galilee, you are going to meet him there because he's going ahead of you there. And so friends, it may not have been what they were looking for. And there is a series of events where the disciples come and Peter and John come first and they, they look for Jesus, they don't see him. And one of them actually stoops down and, and walks into to see if he can see, if he, to make sure that the body of Jesus is not really there. And he wasn't. Because according to his own word, according to his own prophecy, he was going to rise again on the third day. And so it happened. The tomb was empty. It may have looked, may have seemed disappointing at first, but it was not the end of the story because Jesus was coming back to comfort them and to reassure them that this was all part of the plan. That Jesus said, I have authority. No one takes my life from me because I can lay it down and I can take it back. And so it was. That even though it was disappointing to them not to see Jesus and they were uh, uh, filled with fear, they were also filled with great joy, as the Bible says. And they start the way to go meet the disciples. And before they can meet the disciples, the Bible says that Jesus met them. And Jesus comforted them. And Jesus says, rejoice. And Jesus says, be not afraid. 
because I am here with you. And so, my dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the God whom we serve. This is the Savior whom we love. We do not worship and serve a Savior who is up there on the cross. He's been on the cross, but He is now alive. He is now in heaven, and He is interceding for us. We do, not, we do not serve a Savior who is on the cross dead. We do not serve a Savior who is in the tomb. We serve someone who is alive and well. We serve someone who can empathize with our feelings, with our sufferings, and can go along all the way with us. This is the Lord whom we serve. This is the Lord whom the Bible teaches us is the one who is alive. The one who gave his life for us but now lives. And when we gather together here and we sing hymns of praise and we praise his name, we can be assured that we are not worshiping someone who was defeated by death, but someone whom the grave could not contain. Someone who had life in himself. In himself. Life original, unborrowed, everlasting life. And who is now alive and well. So what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Today we have the opportunity of participating in the Lord's Supper. In this communion service that Jesus himself instituted before his death. And as Jesus had this, this supper with, this, with his disciples... He told them at the end that he was not going to partake of something like that until we all would get together. We all would get together in heaven with him. And then we all would have a chance to sit in that long, long table with all the redeemed and with Jesus at the head of the table. And then we'll have the opportunity of partaking with him. But then he said, but you should, be keeping, you should keep doing that. And you should do that in remembrance of me until we have the opportunity of doing that together. And so my appeal to you this morning is that you choose Jesus, is that you choose the Son, and you commit or recommit your life to Him. Because He died, but He rose again. He knows your sorrows and He can help you. He knows all your questionings, all your doubts, and He can help you through all of that. You may have heard this story. I heard it many years ago, but I'm going to close with this story again. It's the story of a wealthy man. This man and his son loved to collect works of art, rare works of art. And they had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together, sometimes bring some friends and admire the great works of art they had in their collection. But when war broke out, broke out in Vietnam, the son went to the war. He was a very brave, courageous man. And it so happened that he died in battle while rescuing Rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and he grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock on the door. 
A young man stood there at the door with a large package in his hands. And he said, Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day. And he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart and he died instantly. He often talked about you, sir. And he often talked about your love for art. And the young man held out the package he had in his hands and said, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son, painted by that young soldier. The father stared in awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in that painting. He was not a professional artist, but the father loved it anyhow. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh, no, sir, no. I could never repay what your son did for me. It's a gift. And the father hung the portrait over, over his uh, mantle. And every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. That's my son. That's a portrait that a soldier friend made of him. Well, life continued on, and at some point the man eventually died. There was going to be a great auction of all his paintings. Many wealthy, influential people gathered for that auction. They were excited over the idea of seeing the great, great paintings and, and having an opportunity to purchase from their collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. And the, the auctioneer pounded his gavel and said, We'll start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous painting. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will someone bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? Do I hear a hundred? Do I hear two hundred? No one said anything. Rather, another voice shouted angrily. We didn't come here to see this. We came here to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts, the Raphaels. Get on with the real bids. But the auctioneer continued, the son, the son, who will take the son? And finally a voice came from the back of the room saying, I will give $10 for the painting. It was the longtime gardener of the man and his son. <clears throat> Being a simple man, that was all he could afford at that time. And the auctioneer says, we have 10, who will bid 20? Someone answered, give it to him for 10. Let's go, let's see the masters. That's what we're here for. $10 is the bid. Won't someone bid 20? And the crowd was becoming angry and they didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted to, do, to, they wanted to go to the, the more worthy investments for their collection. And the auctioneer pounded the gavel and said, going once, twice, twice, sold for $10. 
A man sitting on the second row shouted, Now let's get real. Let's get to the real thing. Let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel and said, I'm sorry, the auction is over. But what about the paintings? And he said, I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun was to be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. And so the man who took the sun gets everything now. Yes, my friends, God gave his son 2,000 years ago to die on a cruel cross. And much like the auctioneer, his message today is the son, the son, who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son gets everything.